Good morning. Hey, uh, uh, ushers, you can come on forward for our offering. Uh, so my name is Russ. We're going to take our offering right now. If you uh, are a faithful attendee of uh, a member of uh, Essex Lions, thank you for your financial giving. You make stuff like the life trip happen and the corn roast happen. So thank you for your giving. If this is your first time here or you weren't prepared to give, uh, don't worry. This is, we hope this service is a gift to you and is a blessing to your life as well. And um, uh, so the life conference we went to uh, Florida in July when no one wants to go to Florida. And so if you're not familiar with the Life Conference, the CMA, the Christian Missionary Alliance, which is the denomination which our church is a part of, sends high school youth groups from all around the country and a little bit beyond. We had this huge group from Puerto Rico. They were awesome and crazy. And uh, some kids from Germany and other countries. And so 6,000 of us filled this one hotel. And you can imagine it's crazy. Uh, we're, we're worshiping in one room, unmasked, spreading COVID. We're playing games. Uh, we're, we're swimming in one pool. Yeah, it's five feet deep. Everybody's drowning. And uh, it, it's an awesome time. It's so fun. It, it's, it's fun. We get to experience the true living God. We get to worship. We get to hear incredible speakers teach us about God in ways that we've never had, uh, had heard ourselves before. And also... Um, Kids' lives are changed. So thank you for sending kids to the Life Conference because of your fundraising efforts, doing all the crazy stuff like buying pies and all that. Thank you for doing that. You have impacted a kid's life for eternity. Yeah, it's really awesome. So um, Elizabeth said that I was going to tell you about the Life Conference. There's too much to tell. I'm not going to do it. Instead, uh, we have a video that we're going to show that Cam made. Um, and the narration and the kids you see speaking in this are our kids from our church. They're not just... Like one of the 6,000 kids that are there. They're kids that you helped send and have this really crazy transformational experience. So thank you for sending them. And then uh, this is the video. Ever since like middle school, seventh grade, I've struggled with anxiety and how people would view me. I, I was always scared that I would do something wrong. Like I'd do like this big mistake that would cause people to like hate me and then I'd never have any friends in my life or I'd just drive so many people away that I'd never be able to find anyone to be my friend. That caused me to spend a lot of my time at home on my couch, just behind my computer or my phone. And I never realized that I was living the exact life that I didn't want to have. And so at that time I put my phone away and I just talked to God for a little while. I spent some time in prayer before going to bed. and. Over time, after that prayer, I began to like stop worrying about what people think of me. I never really changed my personality because I felt like that would be too big of a step. And over this conference, like I've just felt throughout many of the main sessions and a couple of the seminars, like God has been telling me that I need to take that next step. I need to start showing my personality, like allow my emotions to show instead of trying to be the reserved person, and just be myself like and not try to fit into the box that people want me to fit into I think it's 
extremely important to know what it feels like to solely focus your mind on people and God alone, throwing out money and education and work out of the equation, just living your life to the fullest can only be accomplished when you truly know what love feels like. And I think I know what love feels like after this. party every morning and every night you, know, you go in there's like 6,000 people just like screaming walking into the hotel for the first time was crazy because it was way way bigger than I ever expected it to be I thought there'd be like three or four churches maybe in every other state but there were like thousands of people thousands partying in the elevator meeting new people um, and just like the vibe overall was like really nice. Like I would go up to random people and say good afternoon when it's morning or good night and it's morning. away from the trip that I got to bring home with me was the relationships I built. I grew a lot closer to the girls in my small group that I had already been friends with for a long time, but I built really deep and meaningful relationships with them. You got to hear the stories of all my friends and all my new friends that I made, being able to pray for them and look after them and their struggles and knowing what their struggles actually are. It was sad, but it was relieving in a way, just knowing that I'm not alone in my struggles and them knowing that they're not alone in theirs. I brought like a little mini acoustic guitar. I started playing like Taylor Swift. And then before I knew it, like I'm looking down at my guitar and I look up and there's this like this mob of girls. I guess we learned that some, like there was people from like Germany there. And there's like two kids from like Germany. So that was cool. Worship was great. There were the songs were bumping, <laughs> and and the the emotional songs were really emotional. It was really good to see all those people like with their hands up, worshiping, singing. Um, I like the talks that we had afterwards. It was really nice to hear, um, and we all just kind of like got closer to God. Like His presence was so known there that like 
when we came back, it was actually kind of surprising to like, like almost like where is he now, you know? So that's the live conference in a nutshell. And the thing is, every single kid that was on this trip has a story to tell. We have so much footage of the, those few video testimonies we got just one Sunday after church. This is like 10 seconds compared to how much these kids want to talk. They want to share their story. They've all, all had this crazy transformational time at the conference. They want to share what, it, what happened. But it's, it's hard to figure out what to say when people ask you, like, how was the conference? What are you supposed to say, right? Good. It's too much. It's like when you, have, when you first get a job, you've worked at your job for a whole year, and then someone says, hey, how was your first year, right? What are you supposed to say? And so these kids, they want to share stuff, but you've got to ask specific questions. Um, ask them often. And you recognize some, some of the kids that were in this video were on the stage today. So I know you know some high schoolers. You can't say you don't know them because they were up here. All right, so feel free to ask them questions. And the thing is, a lot of like really deep stuff happened too. It wasn't just all about like high-fiving 800 people in a day, right? There was uh, lots of deep stuff that happened. And so they might not share that stuff with you if it's really deep because they don't know that they can trust you. But if you have that deep relationship with those kids, ask them questions. They want to share their story. And also the champions of this trip, too, we had a bunch of adult leaders, our volunteers, who took more than half their, vaca their vacation time for the year or half their vacation time. Yeah, it was crazy just to be here and invest in these kids. And uh, I I've heard this, this saying, like, some investments uh, are eternal. And that's, that's one of those investments. These leaders have invested in these kids as well as you. So thank you for sending kids on this trip. Um, the, one of the kids in this video... Uh, you'll know his face. You'll see him around. Uh, his name is Gavin. He's one of my favorite kids ever, and this is why. All right, he talks super fast, like me. We have fast-talking conversations, all right? Uh, he's really funny, and he has this incredible natural leadership ability that uh, I've been trying to harness for middle school, for our middle schoolers, because uh, they could benefit from him being around, and, uh, and he's an incredible leader. But one of the things Gavin said, not just in the video, but he said, uh, I love the conference, because the this, this speaker, this one guy in particular, this one night after this, after this uh, speaker got up, he goes, it was crazy to finally have a speaker who could relate with me, who felt like he was speak, speaking to someone who understood me, like a high schooler, who could speak on my level. And there was two things that happened. First, I was like, ah, ah, 
right? I've known Gavin since he's in sixth grade, okay? Probably like hundreds of, of lessons at this point, small groups, times a youth group, and I was like, cut me deep, cut me deep, Gavin. But this is what the conference does. I was so happy after I got over the emotional trauma. I was so happy that Gavin was there for that because he got to hear someone talk about God in a way that he understood. So cool. I know, crying. As far as being a grown-up, having kids, you get emotional about stuff like that. It's so cool. I want my kids to have that experience. So cool. Send your kids to life. Put flamingos in people's yards. Eat lots of pie. Go to the cornrows. You'll have an eternal impact on them. <clears throat> so, uh, something Gavin says in the, uh, in the video was, uh, he said, uh, uh, it was so cool. I got to feel like God was right there. I'm summarizing. I don't remember exactly what he said. But he's like, it felt like God was right there. And now we're back home. And it's like, where is he? Have you guys ever felt like that? Where you, it feels like God speaks to you or reveal, reveals himself to you. And you're like, all this like, bad stuff happens. You return home from wherever you were and everyone's the same. And you're like, I'm different though. Where's God? Where's God in all this stuff? Like what happened? Where'd God go? Where are you? And, uh, and that question is one that I wanted to like, take a look at today. This is a question I hope we answer today. Figure out where God is when the bad stuff happens. After it feels like he speaks to us or reveals himself to us. And uh, uh, what we're going to do to figure that out is we're going to take a look at this guy's life in the story um, in the book of Genesis. And it's a huge story. I actually accidentally have way too much. I have like four weeks worth of stuff, but we only have uh, a little bit left. All right, so um, we're going to crank through it. I'm going to read a huge chunk, then I'm going to talk about little pieces here and there because uh, when I read the Bible, I don't know if you guys do this, but I want to know. Like, I want to know why you wrote that, right? Tell me why. Why is this in here? It doesn't make any sense. Like, a lot of times I can read this stuff and it's like, this isn't real. This is absurd, right? You guys believe everything without being like, this is absurd. I want to know, right? Tell me. And so that's what we're going to do. I want to look because I want to know what it's really like to be there. And so I'm hoping to take some deep looks here and there and figure that out. Then um, I'm going to summarize some stuff because uh, time. And then, uh, and then I hope it applies to our lives. All right, that's up to you. So... First, uh, some of you guys may have heard the story a bunch of times as well. I didn't, I didn't label this. This is a mistake. Okay. Um, this is my Bible. Ignore the duct tape. Uh, I lent it out to somebody and they broke it. Uh, so, where's I going? Joseph. Some of you have heard this story a million times. I know I have. But what's cool is that God revealed something to me that I've never seen. I've been in the church since I was three years old. Not this church, but just the church in general, learning about Jesus. I've heard this passage a million times. I've watched the Veggie Tales. I know this story inside and out. But God revealed something to me, and I'm like, it's right there. How have I missed this for over 30 years? All right? Hopefully, you guys have the same experience, unless you guys are, like, really smart and you actually pay attention to what's being said. Uh, we'll see. All right. Uh, Genesis 37, 1 through 11. Here we go. Jacob Joseph's dad, just for clarification purposes, they don't tell you why in this passage. They tell you why later, or earlier. Jo uh, Jacob is Joseph's dad. Jacob also has a special name, Israel. They're just going to interchange it without telling you. Just be prepared. Israel means Jacob. Jacob means Israel. Same person, two different names. Joseph's dad. All right. 
Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob, which is not the account of Joseph, but it doesn't matter. Okay, Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the son of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about him. Tattletale right? Uh, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. He made a richly ornamented robe for him when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them. They hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field, and suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Eh. Yeah. Uh, and uh, his brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When, his, when he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you've had? Will your mother and I and brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Quick time out. Okay, so what happens? We have Joseph. 11 out of 12. He's number 11. 12 sons. It's a lot of boys. Um, uh, second youngest, if there are any of you who are the youngest in the room, like myself, I have two older siblings, uh, you just want to be a part of the team, right? And they won't let you because you're not cool, you're the youngest, and a tattletale. You can't help it. You're the baby. You got to tell on them. So uh, Joseph wants to fit in. He wants to fit in with his brothers, but he's the favorite. His dad made him the Technicolor dream coat, right? But in my mind, uh, this decorated, ornate robe, whatever, is covered in bells, right? I feel like people in that, in that area like bells. Maybe you never, never expected that before. I, I don't know. I, I, thought, I figured they don't tell you there's bells on it. I'm like, there's 100% bells on that rope. He's jingling, all, he's jingling all over the place. And he's shooting himself in the foot all the time trying to fit in with his brothers. He's, and he, he's got this idea. He's like, ah, if I tell them this dream I've had about them bowing down to me, then they'll be like, oh, welcome. Thank you. We love you so much. You're so cool now. When I was 10 years old, I loved this show about three Eds called Ed, Ed, and Eddie. And one of the Eds, uh, this is like from the 90s, so you guys have no idea. Uh, One of the Eds had this catchphrase uh, where he'd say buttered toast, but he had a a very interesting voice. And I was convinced that if I could sneak into the playroom where my 14-year-old brother and all of his friends were without my brother noticing, and I could sneak in really quickly, give them my impression of buttered toast, then they would be like, wow, hang out with us, right? It didn't work. I got beat up by everybody, right? (laughs) But in my mind, it 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 was logical. But when you're a, a kid, a, 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 the youngest sibling who wants to fit in, you're not thinking logically, right? You just want to be cool, just like your brother, just like your 11 older, 10 older brothers, right? This is Joseph. He's shooting himself in the foot trying to fit in. Then he has this dream, dream number one, we'll call it, all right? I've heard this a million times. I've told you, we've read this. I've read it. I've taught it. I've heard it. I guess I just zone out, right, as soon as we get to the dreams. Like, someone starts talking about dreams. I'm like, hmm, right? Okay. It says it right there. It's incredible. What I imagined every time I've heard the story uh, is that Joseph is a sheave, a sentient sheave of grain. And you're like, what's a sheave, Russ? And I'm like, this is what it is. So all of us, when we were growing up, our grandmas had these straw brooms, right? 
No, okay, I guess I, my grandma had a straw broom. Uh, so my grandma had a straw broom and the broom was made of straw like a witch's broom that you'd fly on if you're a witch. Uh, but imagine in the middle, it's bound with like some strings so it's like splayed, uh, frayed at the top and frayed at the bottom. That would be a sheaf of grain. Sorry about the straw brooms. I thought you guys would be there with me, but... All right, so uh, I was like, all right, so in this dream, we have sentient brooms, and they represent Joseph and his brothers. But that's not what it says, and this was mind-blowing to me. I was like, I can't believe it. How did I miss this for all these years? It says that, Joseph says that we were working in the field, binding sheaves. Joseph isn't a sheave. His brothers aren't sheaves. And I was like, wow. I finally, finally saw this passage for the first time. I hope you guys have the same experience uh, with this passage or other passages where you finally understand what it's saying or you're like, wow, missed that my whole life. It was right there. So what's happening is this is foreshadowing, which is great. I wish my life was a book like Joseph's life because then you could flip ahead and see how stuff foreshadows stuff that happens in the future. Uh, but we don't have that luxury, but we do, we do for Joseph. So we can flip ahead a couple chapters and see that this is foreshadowing that Joseph is going to do this work so grand. His sheave is so grand. His work is going to be so grand. All of his brother's work is going to bow down and submit to his comparatively. It's, it's so minuscule compared to what Joseph's able to do foreshadowing what's going to happen. His brother's work isn't enough to survive. So Joseph's work is the targeting of this like bowing by his brother's work. Dream number two, boom. Joseph uh, says that the, uh, the sun, the moon, and the stars are bowing down to him. Joseph is the target of the bowing and the submitting in, in his second dream. And he's like, you know what? Maybe bringing this first dream to my brothers was a mistake. I gotta tell my dad, because if dad is impressed, then my brothers will be impressed because I got dad's approval, right? It doesn't go very well, but it was a good idea, super good. Um, so going back a little bit, because the Bible's book and you can look in the past if you want to, um, is Jacob actually has this crazy dream from God. Some people, if you've been in the church a long time, you may recognize the term Jacob's ladder. Jacob has this dream where uh, uh, he's seeing this ladder and there's angels ascending into heaven and stuff. And God speaks to him audibly. He has this crazy encounter with God. Then he wakes up and he's like, whoa, I'm going to name this place after this experience because it was so transformational in my life. So Jacob is the dream expert in the family. I don't know if you have kids, but I have kids that uh, they want to hear my really lame stories about growing up over and over and over and over again. So I imagine... If these 12 brothers are anything like my two kids, then they would, uh, or I have three kids. <laughs> so uh, they, they want to hear the story over and over and over again. Tell us about that dream you had again, Dad, because this was an essential transformational point in his life. So this is something that will be talked about in the house, I'm sure. So he's the dream expert. He knows dreams come from God. So Jacob, J Joseph's like, oh, man, Dad's going to be really impressed. He's going to know this is from God. But what happens? Dad's like, I'm the king in my house, Right? I, no one's, no, I'm not going to bow down to anybody in my house. I'm the dad. No one's going to be my dad. You guys aren't my dad, right? So he's, he's kind of upset about it. He doesn't want to be bowing down to one of his kids, understandably so. So his brothers get mad because dad's mad. It's okay. But his dad doesn't say, like, I'm going to keep this in mind. He just keeps it in mind. So there's no, like, there's no, like, pulling back from that intensity for the brothers. He's just, like, mentally, I'm going to keep this in mind. Because his dad knows Joseph uh, the uh, dreams come from God. Okay, this is one of those why moments for me. I've glazed over this my whole life. Joseph has dreams from God. And I'm like, yeah, of course, right? 
But I'm thinking like, what? Why? Why give the dreams in the first place? Why give Joseph these dreams? Why? I want to know. Tell me. And so I started looking it up. I looked everywhere. I was like, come on. Someone's got to know why God gave Joseph these dreams. And I found one commentary with one answer. And I, was, I wasn't a fan of it at first. I threw it out. But then there's only one side I'd come back to it. So it was this. God gave Joseph these dreams because he knew what was going to happen to Joseph. And he knew he was going to need hope for this hopeless situation. God's able to see into the future. He's the same today, yesterday, forever. So he knows everything that's going to happen to Joseph. And he's like, man, Joseph's not going to make it. I need to give him hope. So the dreams were the hope. And uh, while Joseph was going to have this hope, God was going to work in the background and do this redeeming work and turn everything that was meant for evil and everything bad that was happening to Joseph and turn it for the good. Because that's who God is. God's a redeemer. So God would never leave Joseph alone. And he would turn everything meant for evil for good. And the one thing I wanted to point out from this that I think is so cool is God fully spoke to Joseph when he was a kid. He's only 17. And I, I feel like sometimes what happens is when I think about kids or, or, or being an adult, like I, I, I can get into this misconception that uh, Joseph could have had like a Holy Spirit Jr. Like it wasn't fully God who spoke to him. It was this kid God. But the thing is, there's no Holy Spirit Jr., there's no God Jr. So if God speaks to you as a kid, or God spoke to you a really long time ago, or revealed himself a long time ago, those words will be true forever. It's not like you're going to hit 30 and be like, yeah, like that was true for them, but it's not true now. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he spoke something to you as a kid, it's true for all time. So it's so cool. When we worship together, when these kids were at the Life Conference, they were meeting the real one true God, hearing the one true God speak to them and reveal himself to them. It's so cool. It's not like it was just some lesser person revealing themselves. But sometimes it takes a long time to fully understand that revelation or what he was, what he was showing you. So uh, God reveals himself. As, uh, is true all the time. And so now, what happens when bad stuff happens? Or for these kids at the Life Conference, they have God reveal themselves to them, and then they come back home and everybody's the same. They're like, what? Where'd God go? Right? We're going to take, oh, you know what? I got to summarize this because of time. We're going to keep going. If you want to check this out for yourself, see what God reveals to you. This is Genesis 37. These next couple verses are 12 through 36. So, Joseph's had these dreams, and uh, uh, he's hanging out with his dad, held back from doing the shepherding work with his brothers because, you know, you got to keep those calluses off the pretty hands because he's the favorite jingly child. And, um, and so his dad is like, you very well know, as, as well as I know, where your brothers are shep uh, shepherding the sheep. Go out to them and bring a report back to me because I know you're a snitch. Right? And in uh, and, and the text, it says, Joseph says very well, which is like, oh, very well, right? Like, you think like an English gentleman or something like that. But he's probably like, yes, let's go. I've been waiting for this. And he's like, takes off. He goes to the field where they're supposed to be, and they're not there. And he doesn't give up. He goes and he finds help. And some guy says, oh, you're looking for your brothers? They're in Dothan. And that's when you know that Joseph isn't a modern man. Because for me, modern man, I go to Home Depot. I can't find what I'm looking for. I don't ask for help. I leave, right? You go somewhere else. But not Joseph. He doesn't give up. He goes and he, he, asks, he asks for help. He gets help. He goes and he finds them. And as he's coming, his brothers see him in the distance. Uh, because I imagine he's like, like, I know youngest siblings, we can't help it. We're annoying by nature. He's probably like, ha, ha, ha. 
Like, it's like loving life because he hasn't had to work all day. It's all his energy. His brother's like sweaty and miserable. You can't help it. Your youngest sibling It is what it is. So uh, they see Joseph in the distance. He's jingling all the way. And they're like, here comes that dreamer. Let's kill him. Right? And his brother's like, yeah, it's a pretty good idea. Let's kill him. And so then the older brother comes, Reuben. He's the oldest, so he feels responsible. He's like, hey, all right, pump your brakes. Let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in a dry well. We're going to call it a cistern because that's what the text says. Uh, but it's just a dry well. Probably super deep because uh, when Joseph shows up, they beat him up. They take his uh, jingly robe off. And they throw him in the well and he can't get out. So I imagine it's probably pretty deep. They're not standing there. It's like kicking his hands every time he tries to climb out. So it's deep. And um, then they do what older siblings always do. They uh, sit down for lunch, right? As the youngest siblings, you know what this is like. He's sitting, they're sitting down for lunch and they're like, ah, oh, this is great, you know. What should we talk about? And they're like, you know what? Uh, he is our brother after all. And uh, uh, he's our blood. Let's just sell him. It's a great idea. And they're all like, yeah, okay, let's agree to that. Yeah, good, good. So they bring him. There's these merchants going by. They bring him to the merchants. They sell him. Uh, he gets brought to Egypt. And then he's sold as a servant or a slave in Egypt to this guy named Potiphar. He is the official, he's an official of Pharaoh in Egypt. There's a couple problems with this story I want to talk about because... Uh, there's just things, it's like, why, okay? First of all, um, Joseph gets thrown into the cistern. And for, uh, for younger siblings, you know what that's like. He probably got beat up during the beating up. He's like, oh, you guys are the worst. But he's like, he's like I understand, right? Retribution for being annoying. Uh, and then he gets, in the, he gets in the cistern. He's just down there. He's like, ha ha, guys, very funny. Let me out. You did it. Let me out. But they're going to make him suffer. When I was 10, also, my parents went away on a date. My brother was watching me. And um, uh, he went out in the snow, barefoot. And he's like, look, Russ, I can stand outside in the snow. And I was like, wow, you're so cool. Do you love me? And then he was like, uh, he was like can you stand out there longer than me? And I was like, of course I can. And everybody can see what's coming. I go outside. He's standing behind the storm door. And I'm like, I'm going to push myself to stand barefoot in the snow as long as I can. And then when I'm like, ah right? Because I push myself and my feet are just burning at this point and I go to run inside and what? The door's locked, right? I'm like, no! I'm crying. Ah! And then he's just like loving it, right? He might as well be eating lunch at that point, uh, just like the brothers. And so uh, I knew it was for something that I did. This is not important. But what is important is that older siblings do this and uh, I knew I deserved it deep down. I was annoying. And so this is Joseph, and he's, he's just like, okay, guys, I get it. Let me out. It's hot down here. Luckily, there's no water. Otherwise, like, you know, how long can you tread water for down in the cistern? I don't know. But it's empty. And so they finally lower the rope down. And I'm thinking as Joseph, you're like, ah, finally, I get my rope back. And he's like climbing up. He has to be pretty strong to use a rope to climb out of a well. So he climbs out of the well, and then his brothers grab him, and they drag him over to be sold to merchants. So I'm just thinking of Joseph's his heart dropping, just like, ugh, what? I thought you guys were letting me out because like that relief of being let out. Yeah, yes, I'm free. And then you're like, ugh. And so when I've read this, this isn't one of those like, what? Tell me why. Why is this in here? What are the chances three guys on camels, like the wise men, just happen to be passing through with money to buy somebody, Right? And I'm like, what are the chances of this? Because that's how I always imagine it in my mind. You got these fancy decorated guys riding camels through the desert, and then all of a sudden they come across these guys that have a guy in a well. And he's like, hey, that guy looks like you. Uh, we'll buy him, you know? But um, uh, so 
I don't know that about anybody else. And so the terminology used there is they talk about a caravan. And I was like, I don't know what that is besides a Dodge caravan. So I'm like, all right, let's look it up. And I learned all about ancient caravans. So uh, there, during this time, there were two main uh, roadways that uh, were used by merchants. One of them was called the Way of the Sea, which happened to go right through Dothan, right where they're shepherding. And uh, this is before the Roman roads. There's no paved roads. It's just really worn paths from people walking down it with their camels. And caravans at this point uh, would be at least like 300 camels long, which you're like, that's a weird form of measurement. But think about it like this. Like, uh, this is the days before semi-trucks, so no tractor trailers. So imagine, like, that's like your, your modern-day tractor trailer back in uh, ancient Egyptian times, right? Back in these times. They're full of goods and all this stuff. And these people would be coming at some points from as far away from India all the way in a long trek to Mesopotamia where the way of the, the, way of the sea starts in Egypt and goes up to Mesopotamia from there. So that's why there's a caravan. Also, the caravan, so let's say 300 plus camels plus mercenaries plus the merchant's families because these trips could be really long. And you're like, why would they have mercenaries? Well, they're traveling in this large group for a couple of reasons. One, because bandits were really, really popular, like raiders, whatever you want to call them. Uh, and then secondly, wild animals like lions would attack lone people. And then weather, there was crazy weather that would happen. There would be snow and then there would be droughts. So you traveled with a lot of people to help you survive. And then um, I was trying to get a better understanding of how these caravans might have worked. So I looked a couple thousand years into the future in the year 1602. And there was this guy named Benedetto de Go. He was a Jesuit priest. And he went on this quest. Uh, he was charged to find the, the lost land, lost, uh, uh, what is it? Nation? There we go. Of Cathay. And it was like Marco Polo in the 1300s came and he said, yes, there's this land called Cathay and they have these Christian rituals. And then the Jesuits were like, all right, hey, we're going to go figure out if that's true. And so uh, this guy named something Richie went uh, from the east to west and Benedetto de Go went from the west to east uh, via the Silk Road. Um, he was the only European to do so, and so people kind of treated him like a sideshow just because he looked so different, so that was like a benefit for him. But anyways, uh, it was 500 people long, this, this merchant um, uh, caravan that he was a part of. And uh, it ended up taking four years. It was the same distance, though, that it would be from India to uh, Mesopotamia on the way of the sea. So that's what's really cool, like the, the similarities there. Uh, his, his journey was crazy. And uh, the reason why they had mercenaries, even with Benedetto to go, was he said that along the Silk Road, it was just littered with bodies of other merchants who got uh, attacked by bandits. So if this is happening in 1602, I'm pretty sure, like, you know, technology are traveling with the same type of technology at this point, well, for the most part, um, uh, probably pretty similar to this uh, ancient Egyptian caravan. So there's caravans for you. Oh, spoiler, Cathay was actually just China. Yeah, so no one has to look it up. Okay, all that said. He's pulled out, climbs out, uh, his brothers grab him, he's like relieved and he's sad, and then they bring him to the caravan, which is just like this constant sea of people going by, and they're like hawking him like, a, uh, like tickets at like a stadium, right, by scalpers. And they're like, hey, anybody want to buy a guy? And, um, and then think about the humiliation, though, being sold just by people walking by. It'd be terrible. Like, Joseph, for the first time, is seeing his life fall apart. 
and he didn't do anything. It wasn't his fault. His life is falling apart because of what his brothers are doing. So the people Joseph trusted and loved are the people that betrayed him. I know some of us are, have been in that situation before where we've been betrayed by the people we, we should be able to trust. You should be able to trust your family. But God knew Joseph was going to need the dreams because he was going to need hope in this hopeless situation he was going to go in. And something I wanted to clarify about hope was that hope doesn't cancel out trauma or pain that happens in your life. Doesn't, it doesn't cancel out trauma or pain, but hope does help you persevere in a hopeless situation. When things are turning bad, hope gives you uh, the perseverance to make it through. And God was going to do all this work in the background, redeeming what was meant for evil for good. Even though his, his brothers meant this for evil, he was going to turn it for good. And it says over and over again, if you read the text, that God was with him. It says the Lord was with Joseph. We wish we knew our, our whole story like the book, right? So we could look ahead and be like, this situation's really bad. How is God going to make it better? You're like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm okay. But we don't have that luxury, right? All right, next. Ooh, I'm actually going to read this. Whew. Uh, we skip ahead. I said, Joseph was sold to Potiphar, who's an official of Pharaoh in Egypt. We're going to pick up where he gets sold and read a little bit. Here we go. Genesis 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, oh, one of Pharaoh's officials. The captain of the guard bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessings of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house, she called to her household servants, Look, she said to them, Tell that this, uh, this Hebrew has been brought to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak behind, beside me and ran out of the house. I'm going to summarize the rest for time's sake. So what happens is uh, Potiphar comes home and she's like, look what evil uh, Joseph tried to do with me. And then Potiphar's like, how dare you, Joseph, and throws him in prison. All right, strips him of his, of his stature and throws him in prison. And uh, when I read this text, you go, go ahead and read yourself, uh, Genesis 39, is worth reading. Um, when I read this text, what I noticed right away is where did we see Joseph last? We saw Joseph as the spoiled favorite child, right? The next time we see him after he's been sold is he's this invaluable worker. 
How does that happen? Right? Okay, tell me about a time, if anybody has an example. Actually, I'm just kidding. Don't, don't answer that. But uh, of, of a time where you had this, like, brat of a kid who was so spoiled, and then he got hired at Hannaford, right? And it was like, wow, that kid's such a good worker. What a blessing, right? It never happens. Never. So it's cool. It's like, how did this happen? He went from the spoiled kid to all of a sudden being this, like, invaluable worker. And it's so cool because it says that uh, the Lord was with him. Oh, something else. A couple things that bother me about him being an invaluable worker right away. First of all, he's a foreigner. He doesn't understand the Egyptian culture. He doesn't speak the Egyptian language. And, uh, and so he wouldn't have gotten some sort of important role right off the bat. We know he was handsome because it says it. And uh, I'm sure whoever wrote it uh, knows what handsome people look like. So, um, so I imagine he was probably close to the house. Uh, and the reason was, so I was trying to figure out like what ancient Egyptian servants' jobs were. And I found we had a couple. So when you, if you were rich enough to be able to hire a servant, you'd either send them to the mines to mine for you. You could send them to be a shepherd, which is a pretty good idea for Joseph. He comes from a shepherding family. Um, they could be a house cleaner or like a nanny, like take care of the, the master's kids. Well, uh, he was handsome. And like, I know you, you, like, if you don't know anything about servants, I guess I don't, I'm just making this up. But I imagine you'd want the handsome ones to be in the house. So when your friends come over, you could be like, check out my handsome servants, right? <laughs> like, you, you, you wouldn't want to have, like, really freakishly looking people be your servants and being like, look at my freak show, right? <laughs> Unless you're P.T. Barnum. So I imagine he was probably in the house. So the shepherding, the mining, and all that stuff's out. And he doesn't speak the language, so I imagine he's probably not a nanny. So I'm guessing, it's completely guessing, nothing theological here, um, is that he was probably a house cleaner. And so... It says that Potiphar saw that the Lord was with him, and it saw, he saw that the Lord blessed him, and that the Lord blessed him in Joseph's work. I'm sure Joseph was cleaning the floor, being like, this isn't work that's worth being bowed down to, remembering his dreams, right? He just cleaned the house. But the Lord was with Joseph, and he couldn't have had that much interaction with Potiphar if he's just cleaning the house, right? How often does like, the master come by and be like, you know what? I can tell the Lord's with you by the way you clean that floor, right? I don't know. But I know that I had a job like this. And some of you have a job like this, and it feels like very, very difficult to go to work. It's really hard. You feel like you're just spinning your wheels in the mud. You're like, oh, I'm never going to get out of this. This job is the worst. I had this experience when I worked at UPS. I worked in um, in this package facility where it's like sorting boxes, and it was hard to go to work. I worked through the night, I did the night shift, and man, it was hard. No one wanted to be there. It was miserable, it was hot uh, in the summer. It was freezing cold, and when you see your breath. And it was, it, was, it was such hard work, and I was like, man, how is this something God wants for me, working here? It just seems miserable. But if I knew that the Lord was with me, and, and the, if, if I had Joseph's experience, like if, I, if I had read this, this would be completely different. Because what we see is through Joseph doing this work, God revealed himself to Potiphar. It said Potiphar saw the Lord was with him. Potiphar wasn't a guy who believed in God. He was an Egyptian. He had like many Egyptian gods. We all learn about them in a history class and stuff. But God revealed himself to Potiphar through Joseph's work even though it wasn't the type of job that Joseph would hope for, like, because he's thinking, like, oh, man, one day my brothers are going to bow down to me because of the work I've done. 
So maybe that's you. Like it was me. I needed to know the Lord was, was with me. And that even though it wasn't what I was hoping for, he was going to turn that to good. And he was going to reveal himself through, through, uh, through my work to just the people around me. It would have changed everything. So uh, it said the Lord uh, redeemed his circumstances. I said the Lord redeemed his circumstances. And we know what he did for Joseph. We know he could do it for you. But I wanted to know like, why the Lord was blessing him. Because it says that the Lord blessed him and then Potiphar realized. And then Potiphar made him the attendant. It's not like he was hired as the attendant. And then with all this stuff under his control, Potiphar saw the blessing. So why was, Joseph, why was God with Joseph? Why was God blessing Joseph? And so um, uh, looking into it a little bit, I found that the reason that the Lord was with Joseph wasn't anything Joseph did. He wasn't blessed because of anything Joseph did. It was actually what Joseph's great-grandpa did. Joseph's great-grandpa was Abraham, and God made a covenant with Abraham saying that I will bless you and bless the nations and your family because of this covenant I'm making through you. And then he actually renews that covenant with, uh, with Joseph's dad. And so Joseph is being blessed, his, uh, and, and the Lord is with him even in these hard circumstances because of a covenant made generations before. And it's really cool. As believers nowadays, we have this new covenant. It's even better than the old one. Like the old covenant was cool. I was like flip phones. And now we have like the smartphone covenant with Jesus. And we have that same covenant with Jesus. And so if you're wondering, it's like, man, how does this apply to me? How does the story of, Jesus, of Joseph apply to me? Because I'm like old now, you know, like, or, or like I don't have a family yet. Or I have like grandkids and this really isn't me. I've seen God work in my life. Well, this is a way you can do it through your covenant, the new covenant with Jesus. You can bless generations and generations of people in your family. It's so cool. Super, super cool. Moving on. Last one I want to look at is uh, Joseph's ability to fend off Potiphar's wife is super interesting because he has become this crazy man of integrity out of nowhere. So um, Joseph's response to her after day after day of being pushed by her to, to go to bed, he says, how can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Joseph has become, through all these trials, such a man of integrity, he's more worried about pleasing God than he is about pleasing people. He doesn't say, like, uh, how can I do such a thing as sin against Potiphar, my boss? He's not worried about his boss. He's worried about what God would want for him. He wants to please God. It's so cool. So Joseph's life has fallen apart for the second time. And this time it was because he he did the right thing. And I know that's happened to me, right? I'm like, God! Why is this happening to me? Like, why is this bad stuff happening? I'm doing what you want me to do. At least I think I'm doing what you want me to do. Why is this bad stuff happen? So Joseph does what, what he feels like is the right thing to do, and he ends up in jail. So he's probably wondering where God is, right? Man, second in command of this official's house, that's pretty good. Work worth being down, uh, bowed down to, you know? Like, that's pretty good for a servant. It had to feel good. He's probably living the life. He probably has nice living quarters. He has a bunch of people like under him that's helping him out. Like for a servant, that's probably as good as it gets. So he's like, yeah, cool. God, these dreams are coming true. But then all of a sudden, bam, he's sent to prison. These dreams are falling apart. And I'm sure he's like, man, God, where are you? How is this good? But he didn't realize because he couldn't see yet how God was going to redeem what Potiphar's wife meant for evil for good. He's working in the background. All right, I'm going to summarize this time in prison really fast because we were over time. So um, 
He goes, to, he goes to prison. He gets sent to prison through a whole bunch of series of interacting with dreams and interpreting dreams. Uh, these, uh, this one guy goes and ends up being Pharaoh's cupbearer. Pharaoh has two dreams of his own, and the cupbearer, after a couple years, is like, oh yeah, I know this guy in prison who can interpret dreams. Uh, you should have him come interpret your dream. Pharaoh's like, go get him. So they clean him up, they get him out of prison, and Joseph goes before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's like, hey, I heard from this guy over here, you can interpret dreams. And Joseph's response is the best. He says, I cannot. He's like, Joseph, you just got out of prison, lie. Do whatever you gotta do, stay out, right? Um, but no, Joseph says, I cannot. So it's funny to me. But then he says, but God can. And what happens is he interprets this dream that means seven years of abundance in the land, of like everything growing and uh, cattle producing and all that stuff. And then there's gonna be seven years of famine throughout the known land. And Pharaoh's like, that sounds terrible. Do you have a plan to fix this? And he's like, I do have a plan. And he tells Pharaoh the plan that Pharaoh's like, this is so amazing. You're going to be second in command of Egypt from now on. So Joseph gets an Egyptian name. He gets Pharaoh's signet ring, which gives him all the power. And, uh, uh, and then Joseph, full, oh, and he gets, he gets married to a, uh, to a priest's daughter of like this Egyptian god. Because Pharaoh's probably like, I got a match, make a good match over here. Like, this guy knows God. I'll get him a random, you know, priest's daughter. There we go. God, God. Good match. Um, so Joseph fully embraces this Egyptian life. He's like, ah, I'm second in command. And he's loving life. He has kids. His first kid, he names Manessa. She's a girl. Uh, and it, it's in, the, trans, the translation is, of her name is, God has made me forget all the trouble of my father's household. Joseph has moved on. He's like, I love this life. I'm not concerned with my parents' household anymore, my brothers and all that stuff. Then he has a son named Ephraim, which means double blessing. So essentially he named his kids, he named his daughter Forgotten and his son uh, Christmas Bonus. And there's no counseling in ancient Egypt for the daughter. It just is what it is. You don't name your daughters Forgotten. It's a terrible name, right? Yeah, or Christmas Bonus for a son. Bad one. So Joseph's moved on. And uh, then we have this last little chunk of text that I want to read to you. And some of you can relate with this. I have just moved on past my struggles. I'm better now. And here comes his, his family. I just got over you. Go away, right? Here we go. We're going to finish up. It's called Joseph's brothers go to Egypt. And remember why Joseph's brothers bowed down to him in the first place. When Jacob learned that there were, was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. The 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain for the famine was in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to uh, to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them. And we're going to stop. Oh, nice. They don't have the, I, I, I cut off the verse halfway through because what happens next isn't too important. <laughs> He accuses them of all sorts of stuff, but we're just going to move on. All right. So, um, first of all, they come and he's like, guys, I just got over you. I've moved on with my life. I'm cool with this life now. And then his brothers come and they don't recognize him. You may be like, oh, why don't they recognize him really quick? Uh, first of all, he's alive. 
right? Uh, he's dressed like an Egyptian prince. He's got makeup on. They love makeup in Egypt. And, uh, and, so, uh, and he's also speaking through an interpreter. Uh, and also, I imagine back then, uh, culturally, if you're like going to someone who's the second command of a country, you're not going to be like inspecting their face. You look like somebody, right? They're probably like looking at the ground like, because he could just be like, you're dead, right? Kill them all. Because he's, he's like the king. He can do whatever he wants. So um, you're like going to bow down a lot. And, uh, and so uh, Joseph recognizes them. He sees them bow down to him. And at that point, he remembers the dreams. It's been well over 20 years since he had those dreams. His life has fallen apart twice, one out of his control, one because he did the right thing. And what God spoke to him as a teenager is still true as a 40-year-old man. It doesn't matter if, uh, what, what pain and tragedy uh, occurred or, or, what, um, or his life fell apart. God's words were still true. And many of you share the story of Joseph, and I know I do as well, where God revealed himself to you or spoke to you when you were a kid. And you didn't understand fully what your life meant with that, with what God revealed himself, until you were much further down the road and able to look back kind of like at the whole story and be like, wow, I could see how God had turned all this evil for good in my life. And for young people, like those of you who are at the Life Conference, you know that God won't hold himself back from you. He's going to speak to you. And uh, what he says will remain true forever, and he's going to remain faithful to his word, and he's not going to leave you alone. He's going to be with you. Over and over again in the scripture, it says, the Lord is with Joseph. And that's the only bad part that, there's a couple of bad things that come from me, not actually reading it, but summarizing it. But that's one that it says over and over again, the Lord is with Joseph. He's not going to leave you alone. And, it's, uh, and he's not going to forget his promise if your life falls apart. So some of you have a life experience where you can see the whole book. You've seen how God's redeemed your life and turned what was evil for good. And for, for those of you in that camp, I want to challenge you to share with people who are struggling. Share how God has come through over and over again. Even remind them how God's come through in their life if you have that relationship. My mom is really good at this. She texts me all the time, like Bible verses of encouragement, and be like, hey, I know God's going to come through because when my faith is weak, it's so good to be able to stand on others. Stand on others' faith and lean on others' faith. And you can do that for somebody else too. You can provide faith for someone whose faith is weak. So share Reminding people of good work as God's doing in the background, redeeming evil for good. And uh, Genesis 50, 20, it's all the way at the end of Genesis, like the last chapter. Genesis is closing, and um, the second dream has come true at this point because uh, his brothers are bowing down to Joseph. They're like, oh my goodness, it's Joseph, right? Oh, okay, so they submit to Joseph this time because it's him. And Joseph has them before him. They've moved in with him. And he says this to his brothers. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph's betrayal, his enslavement, the accusations, the imprisonment, all were being worked, all meant for evil. God worked them for the good. It, God made it, if Joseph wasn't in this situation, the famine would have killed him, his family, many, many people, and God redeemed it. Saved not only him, but many, many others, and Joseph recognizes it. 
So you may be able to look back and see how God has worked in your situation, in your circumstances, and turn evil for good. But I know some of us right now are struggling. It feels like, man, God, where are you? My life's falling apart. I feel betrayed, accused. What we know from this text, if God is true yesterday, today, and forever, and if he'll do it for Joseph, he'll do it for you too. He is with you. He hasn't left you. He hasn't left you to do it alone, and he's going to work what was meant for evil for the good. And there will come a day where you'll be able to look back and say, wow, God used what I was going through not only for me, but to save many lives. That's my prayer for you today, and that's my prayer for you for the days to come, that you'd be able to see God's work and trust his work and have hope when the situation seems hopeless and know that God, if he speaks to you, even if you're young, is still true later. I'm going to pray for us really quick and then remember to ask kids about the Life Conference. They want to talk about it. You just got to ask them. It's too much to tell. All right. Jesus, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for always working uh, in the background of our lives, turning what was meant for evil for good, uh, not only for the benefit of us, but for, the, for many around us. We pray that even if we're in that job that's like that really, really hard, hard position, it feels like we're struggling, I uh, pray that you'd, we would see how you're revealing yourself to the people around us, that our job has purpose more than just making people money or more than just whatever it is. It has purpose that you're working a good work through that job. Would you encourage us? Thank you for being with us in all of our struggles. Thank you for being with us in the good times as well. We pray that we would see you and know you deeper. And uh, just give us the courage to be able to encourage others when it seems like they need encouragement and be able to share our testimonies because we know we will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimonies. So bless us as we go about our days. In your name, amen. Go find a high school kid. Talk to him. <laughs> <laughs>